0: This episode deals with difficult subject matter surrounding trauma and serious mental health struggles, including suicidal impulses and behavior. If you or a loved one is experiencing suicidal thoughts, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. You're listening to That Moment When. Stories of specific and honest relational touch points that change a person's life brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible and CSB Podcast Network. My name is Richard Clark. Even as a kid, Portia Collins learned that it was up to her to put things right. The founder of the ministry She Shall Be Called, and one half of the podcast duo Sweet Tea with Portia and Jasmine, Portia Collins has a passion for helping others embrace biblical truth, but she couldn't always hold it all together. There were problems in her life she just couldn't solve. In this episode, Portia Collins shares just how hard she tried to maintain perfection and the series of moments that led her to realize that only God could truly accomplish the impossible.
1: So into childhood, I would say my deepest fear was death. I had a crazy fear of death, man. Like to the point where I would have panic attacks. If somebody said, like, stop and think about death, immediately I would start, like, hyperventilating. The unknown the whole thought, the process, what am I going to feel like would send me spiraling. I remember being like 12 years old, sitting on the couch hyperventilating because I had paused a moment to think about death. And I don't think now that looking back on it, I don't think it was death in and of itself that I feared. I think it was because I was not secure about where I would spend eternity. I didn't feel secure about that. I grew up in a single parent home. My mama had me at the age of 20. In fact, I really didn't have a relationship with my dad. I would say growing up, my mama was like, the quintessential strong Black woman, you know? So it was me and my sister and my mom. Um, My mom did get remarried. Well, she never was married to my dad, but she got married to my sister's dad. But that was an abusive relationship. So I was about five, and they, they stayed married for about seven years. But the entirety of the relationship was super tumultuous. And so... For me, I really didn't have good imagery of a dad, to be honest. And so, like, my mom was, like, everything. Now, I will say that my relationship with my mom was also a bit strained because my mom was working through her own issues with, you know, one baby daddy who, like, was pretty much absent, my dad, and then her husband, my sister's dad, who is, you know, was abusive and just, it was crazy. I, I know my mom was dealing with a lot of hurt and just trying to figure life out. And so that, you know, that comes out in her relationship with her children. I know she may not have intended that, but it was strained. I just think that she did the best that she could as a mom, but there were limitations, you know? And so she provided as best as she could, there were, Hard moments, but I know that she gave it all that she had as a mom. We went through so, so much. I used to be so ashamed of not having my dad at home with me. Because I had other friends at school, like if you had like donuts with dad or something like that, like my grandpa or my uncle or somebody would have to come, like not my dad. And then like everybody that, most of my friends, they all grew up in two-parent households. And so I just felt like, you got to think too in the South, think about the cookie cutter picture perfect lives everybody lives in a nice home like we didn't live in a a house we lived in an apartment and you know just like not a lot of money enough to have my needs supplied but it just it wasn't like that cookie cutter model that you see in southern homes and so I used to feel inwardly I felt so inadequate and less than because like my dad's not here and my mom's a single parent and we don't have a lot of money and I just feel so vastly different than everybody else. I was aware of a lot as a young child. I was aware of a whole lot. Like I even remember um there was a time where my step stepdad and my mom were outside in the rain fighting like dogs. And I remember coming outside, like screaming at them and like, just go in the house. You know, like I'm like, I'm probably like maybe seven or eight at that time. And they just stopped fighting and they walked in the house. Like there was a strong awareness. I even think so much of that has just shaped who I am today. I am I hate even saying it, the responsible person. I am the person who always feels like I gotta provide the solutions, I gotta bear the brunt, I gotta, you know, I don't have the luxury of just throwing up my hands and wallowing in despair. Like, I gotta do this and I gotta be this. Growing up in a Southern house, black mama, and then my my black grandmama, <laughs> like, we went to church. <laughs> I literally, I grew up in the church. I remember sitting on the organ bench beside my mama, you know, like being like two years old and watching her play. Every Sunday we were in church, Sunday school. My grandmama was a stern proponent of, girl, you better get up and get to Sunday school. She called my mama's house and be like, they going to Sunday school? (laughs) And, you know, like I just remember always being in that environment revivals and any type of church program out of seven days out of the week a good three to four of those we were probably in church you know there wasn't as much focus in terms of teaching because this it's almost like that's a part of the culture here sometimes in the south it's a part of the church culture And I'm I'm thinking, like, people like, with Craig, um, what's the song? Church Clothes. I think, like, that resonated so much with me um, when that song came out. Because I was like, yep. And so based on the environment that I was in and because I was always told this is what you got to be and what you got to do. And I was also starkly told to stay away from the licentious lifestyle so I felt like the only other option was I gotta become Debbie do or Christian I really didn't have an understanding of grace so I always tell people I really believe that God saved me as a little girl I made up you know I was baptized at like the age of five I'm fully aware I have you know I remember all of that I knew that Jesus needed to be my Savior but I didn't understand. I felt like what Jesus did for me was he gave me a starting point And then it was up to me to earn the, the rest of my way. So I grew up in this, in high school, in this very moral environment. But when I got to college, I started living my best life. <laughs> You name it, I did it. <laughs> and then I would justify it because I I had good grades. You know, I I was on the president's list every semester. And so in my mind, I had the concept that it doesn't matter what else I do. I can party Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, as long as I'm getting up every morning. To go to class, and as long as when these, when midterms hit, I got all A's. And when finals hit, I got all A's. Then I felt like that justified the simpleness of my life. And so I I partied. I had fun. I delved into just uh, relationships that I had no business being in. But I met the end of myself really, really fast. I was on a spiritual descent, like, that I remember after, I, once I graduated, because it was like the glory years was, were over, it's like, what am I going to do now? You know, I, I remember weeping on my graduation day, not because I had graduated from college, but because I felt like, okay, where is my life? What am I doing? And so I, it was almost as if God allowed me to get so depressed and so I I couldn't, I needed to find hope and I couldn't find it in all the other ways that I was trying to find hope, but I was miserable. It wasn't like I could not fix it. And so I remember I would be at work and I would Google on my computer about God and salvation and hope and just different things like constantly over and over, just literally almost like grabbing, trying to reach out of the water. Like I need something, help me God. I need clarity. I don't know what to do. My life feels like it's gonna end. I even dealt like heavily, like with suicidal thoughts, suicidal ideology. Like I remember taking a whole bottle of pills of like hydrocodone or something and literally pouring them in my mouth to the point where they started to dissolve a little bit. And it was just like I don't it had to be the Lord that stopped me. And I remember just spitting them out, you know, and going back to the Bible. Like going it was almost as if Satan was trying to keep me from getting to the truth, you know? And so like all of this time, like I said, post college was just where I was I, I felt myself like like lord help me i'm not clear i'm struggling i don't i don't even know if i want to live most days but i need i need something i knew that the bible was important you know growing up i knew that you should know scripture but i did not have a real understanding of god's word and one night i was probably 20 i had just graduated so maybe let's say anywhere between 22 and 24, this was like, and I was in my apartment and I was sitting on the floor and something, it must've been the Holy Spirit stirred me to read the book of Galatians. And I read all six chapters in one sitting. And when I finished, like face to the floor, sobbing, because I finally understood it was as if a weight. Had lifted because it was like, I am saved because Jesus saves me. Like, I had had a mentality up until that point okay, Portia, you had a good day, you're going to heaven today. Ooh, Portia, you had a bad day, you cussed somebody out, you did, you're gonna bust hell wide open. And so, reading Galatians really dismantled that mindset. And I realized that my salvation came from Christ alone and he calls me to good works not as a means to save myself but because that's a byproduct of what he does when he saves me and so it's like I I lost that pressure to feel like I needed to be the good girl and I trusted that Christ is what makes me like pleasing in God's sight. like It totally changed my life, like, completely. I believe God gripped me, and I didn't realize I had been gripped. I was longing. First of all, I've always been an avid reader. And remember I told you I would be in my um, office at work, and I'd be searching on the internet, like, literally grabbing for straws, looking for hope, looking for truth. And that's how I ended up reading people like John Piper and Tim Keller. I even remember going through a season of my life throughout all of this when I'm like really wrestling with where I actually came to an awareness of like, well, maybe I maybe I I wasn't the believer that I thought I was, you know. And I remember buying his book, When I Don't Desire God. And I think that was the first time that I really came to grips with, Lord, I need to confess that I really didn't for a while, for a very long time, I didn't have a re- a desire for you. I had a desire not to go to hell. I had a desire to do what was pleasing to my mama and my grandmama. But did I really have a desire for you, to know you, a zeal for you? I can't say that. I can't say that I had. And I remember praying for that. And like, this is all in the season of me reading these books. Like I said, Tim Keller, John Piper, all of this. And it's like this big old messy thing that God literally, he brings it all full circle. And it's like, God showed me you need me. And I'm the only one that can fulfill what it is that you are looking for. I'm the only one who does this, like being the responsible Portia, you've put this immense amount of pressure on yourself to be and to do and to all of this when you don't understand, like, this is what I do. Like, I save you. I transform you. I renew you. And I I did not, I just didn't see it. And like when I finally saw it, this is why I wept so hard when I read the book of Galatians. This is why like literally I cried. I remember saying, I am free. My chains are broken. Every piece of guilt that I had dealt with, every piece of like all of the confusion, all of the brokenness, all of the trying and striving that I had been trying to do, putting on the perception of being And like, no one, this is going to be so transparent because no one, I've never really talked publicly about this. Everybody, even people who see me now, oh, Portia, you've always been Portia the good girl, Portia the Christian. No, behind that was brokenness and pain and confusion. Like, everybody, like, especially my friends from college. This makes me weepy too, thinking, because they know. They know the ugly, ugly. They know how bad I was like wilding out and tripping. And so when they see now, like what God has like done in my life, I think that they are really amazed. Like they know that it is seriously the work of God because they know how deeply I was entangled in sin. There's some things that happened during my college years that some sinfulness that I know, I know that I'm forgiven, but I know that I'll carry the memory of those things with me for the rest of my life. When I was in college, I, I, abortion was an option for me and it was an option that I chose. And it is something that I deal with mentally. It's hard. I never want to talk about it publicly because there's, it's like, I don't want to say a, a shame because I'm free, you know, I'm free from that. And I realized that it was wrong and I've confessed and I know that I'm forgiven, but it's just not something that you're proud of. But there are women in my life that, um, whether for one reason or another they have found out about that, whether they knew when it happened or a conversation came up and they found out. And some of those very women have come back to me. You cannot believe the amount of women who have come to me and have asked for counsel on, should I make this decision? And so even though it was very, very bad and I've made I made the wrong decision at that time, there've been so many that I've been able to counsel in making the good decision and to not do that and to share with, and like they believe it, you know? So it's not like I'm telling you, oh, you don't need to, you know, don't have an abortion and shaking, wagging my finger. It's like, I've been there. I know what that feels like. I know the options, I'm gonna tell you like why you shouldn't make this decision, not just because it's the quote unquote Christian thing, but I'm gonna break it down for you, like all the way and how, if there are things that I could change in my life, I would change that. I think that's like the fruit that's seeing and truly being changed and being able to share that with other people so that they see. It's not fake. You know what I'm saying? You may have an abortion and nobody else in the world may ever know about it. But the fact that, like, I feel like that's one of those sins that if you wanted to, you could keep it hidden, you know? But the fact that, like, God has put me in a place where to share that with others and to counsel them in not making that decision and to show them why, not just out of a moralistic type thing, but, like, really breaking down how all of us are made in the image of God and just just sharing my faith and saying you know people say that they don't live with regrets but some of us do you know like like that's real that's real and it's been real for me and then I think too that I found some conversations with women who've also made, I don't want to say comfort, but maybe it is. I found comfort in sitting with them and talking through that and feeling understood in the sense, like, I guess my fear too is somebody is going to look and be like, oh, I can't believe she did that. When really, none of us are above seeing it. But I I found comfort in being able to sit down with some women who say, you know what, I've been there. I made the decision. I feel the same regret and all of the things that you feel. But praise God that we are redeemed beyond that and we can use our experience now to help guide and disciple other women on the right path. So, I've definitely found comfort in it because sometimes you want, you feel like you, you feel like you're the only person who made that decision or you're the only believer who has to live with that. Oftentimes, this is what I was considering in in my head when I made the decision to choose abortion. It was almost as if, well, this is an unredeemable situation. I got to end this because I can't, there's no way that there can be fruitfulness on this path if I choose to have this child. And now I see that that was a lie from the pits of hell. God can redeem. Even when we have made a mess, a horrible mess of our lives, there is always an opportunity to turn around, to repent, and to trust that God can bring beauty and redemption and grace out of whatever it is that we may be struggling with that moral facade is going to be shattered because now you you got proof that it wasn't perfect but guess what i the lord am capable of even redeeming this I'm just so reminded I've been reading through the Bible. Look at how many times, just from Genesis to Exodus, look at how many times the people make a mess of something and God comes back and he says, you know what? Yeah, you were wrong, but I can still redeem even beyond this. It just goes to underscore who God is. He is faithful when we're not. He is still working and doing everything like the right way, the best way, even when we choose to do things the wrong way. I didn't get clarity and I didn't get freedom until God, like he met me where I was and he showed me. It was almost like pulling back a veil and saying, no, this is what I did for you. You are free. Don't go back tying yourself up in the chains of legalism or whatever else, like you are free in me.
0: That Moment When is hosted by Richard Clark, produced by Nick Thompson, edited by Kaylin Richardson, brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible and CSB Podcast Network. For more information, go to csbpodcastnetwork.com.